0: The following program is a podcast One.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. I'm not even supposed to be here today. This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk, Talk is Jericho, starring Chris Jericho.
1: Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the pod, 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 pod of thunder and rock and roll. The spell you run down can be broken by Chris Jericho. And it's Friday.
0: It's Friday.
1: The People's Podcast has arrived. Let's go for a ride. Good morning, Vietnam! Down <laughs> Pam bam pam bam bam bam, bam 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 Baby, you can drive my car. Yes, I'm gonna be a star. It's going gong. Baby, you can drive my car. And baby, I love you. Beep 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 beep. gong ding gong. ding gong gong. gong gong. Woo! Yeah, that's pretty hard to do. Beep, 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 beep yeah! <laughs> hey, if you can't entertain yourself, who can you entertain, right? Huh? Alright, it's a good day. Speaking of being entertained, part two with Kevin Smith is coming up. Did you listen to part one yet? It is so funny. I'm still laughing about how much money he spent to buy the entire Degrassi Junior High and High TV show library. Uh, If you haven't heard of Degrassi, it was the Canadian version ...of 90210, and for whatever reason, Kevin is obsessed with the show. He spent like five grand on VH tapes of Degrassi... ...and uh, scoured the world to find the grand finale, Schools Out. Uh, You can actually find that on YouTube. Some of you people hit me up on the Twitter, at TalkIsJericho... ...and told me that you found Schools Out uh, on YouTube... ...and was just uh, incredibly surprised and amazed... At Degrassi. Uh, we're going to talk about a whole much more uh, random stuff today. You'll hear about the first time he met Ben Affleck, how he found Jason Lee to star in Mallrats. Plus, we'll break down our favorite comic book superheroes, and we'll get the nitty-gritty on the making of his new movie, Tusk. And I'm also going to read you a chapter from my new book that's coming out on October 14th, The Best in the World at What I Have No Idea. Actually, you can pre-order it right now on Amazon. If you do, don't forget to use the talk Is Jericho Amazon links. That would be so fruit. Somebody tweeted me and said, don't use the word fruit anymore. Sorry, buddy. It's my show. I can say fruit as much as I want. Fruit, 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 fruit. I'm saying fruit. Yeah, that's how I roll. I do what I want when I want because it's my show. So, anyways, so... I have Amazon links for USA, for the UK and for Canada A. Easiest way to support this show, and you know I appreciate it when you support the show. Every time you shop at Amazon through one of my links, Amazon gives a small percentage of your purchase back to this very show to help me, help us, help the entire company to cover production costs. And listen, this doesn't cost you anything extra. There's no hidden charges or fees. Just go to PodcastOne.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts free banner at the top of the, say it with me, page. Then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Listen, you can buy whatever you want. You want to pre-order the best in the world at what I have no idea. You want to order, uh, do you want to start a war, Fozzie's new record. Uh, Whatever you want. You want to get a, a new coffee table. Order it. You can get anything on Amazon. You have bracelets, I bought bracelets, I bought some jeans on there, a coffee maker. Whatever you want to get, if you're going on Amazon, help out Talk is Jericho in the process. Once again, podcast1.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcasts free, banner at the top of the Everybody page eh? then hit the Talk is Jericho button. You can bookmark it so you can get those links in one Easy click. All right. I am doing this uh, from a hotel room in Charlotte. Had another great show in Charlotte tonight with Theory of a Dead Man. Fozzie, uh, touring with Theory right now. Got a lot of really cool shows coming up. We are playing tonight. In Beckley, West Virginia, that's a headlining show, returning to Munchies. If you were there last time, you know how hot and sweaty that place is. It was an amazing rock and roll, punk rock gig. Uh, I'm looking forward to returning to Beckley. Then September 26th, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, September 27th, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, the 28th in Parkersburg, West Virginia, slash Marietta, Ohio. And then on September 30th, Nashville, Tennessee plus we've got a headlining gig in Fort Wayne on October 1st, another headliner in New York City at the Gramercy Theater uh, October 5th. So go to fozzyrock.com, check out all the dates and come on down, come check us out. It's a great package. 3 Pill Morning, Fozzy and Theory of a Dead Man. You want a good rock show? Ha, you want one? I got one for you. Also more Fozzy dates upcoming very very soon. We're talking the UK, we're talking England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, we're talking Europe, and we're talking about another tour of the States. So stay tuned for all of that information. Fozzie definitely busy, got a lot of cool stuff going on. And as soon as the Fozzie tour ends on the 12th, Uh, With Theory of a Dead Man and we uh, finished that tour off in Bowlesburg, Pennsylvania, which is basically State College. I get in the car. I drive straight to New York City and I start doing the book tour. uh, The best in the world at what I have no idea book tour. And that starts in New York City on the 13th. The book is released on the 14th. I will be at Barnes and Noble Carl Place, New York, on the 14th. 15th, one of my favorite bookstores in the country, Bookends. Ridgewood, uh, New Jersey. On the 16th, I'll be at the Barnes & Noble in Staten Island, New York. Then I head all the way to the other coast. October 17th, Lake Forest Park, Washington 3rd Place Books. October 18th, visiting my fine, uh, fine friends in the Armed Forces at Fort Lewis and Fort McCord. That's Seattle on the 18th. Then head over to Dallas for Barnes & Noble in Dallas, Texas. October 21st, I got Barnes & Noble in Tampa, Florida on October 25th and October 23rd at Brandon, Florida at Books A Million. I guess that was out of order. I should have said 20, October 23rd in Brandon, Florida at Books A Million, October 25th uh, in Tampa. So uh, come on down. There's a lot of dates, a lot of signings. And this book is, well, you know, it's number three in the series. And I think it's my favorite um, it's a great collection of wrestling stories uh, dealing with the greatest run of my career, which was from 2008 to about 2010, all the cool stuff with Shawn Michaels, Rey Mysterio jr. Uh, CM Punk. And then also so many cool Fozzie stories, dancing with the stars, going to Iraq with the WWE. There's a lot of amazing stuff uh, and stories involving that. Also, um, how I came up with all my catchphrases kind of a, um, a a retrospective on all the the ring music that I've done where I got the ideas from uh, getting suspended when I kicked the flag. Uh, in Brazil, how mad Vince McMahon was at me, uh, seeing The Undertaker almost get burned alive in the Elimination Chamber uh, match uh, in St. Louis. So so many cool uh, stories. I think if you liked Lion's Tale and if you liked Undisputed, you will love the best in the world at what I have no idea. I'm going to read an excerpt for you right now. This is from Chapter 6. Sean the Liar is the name of the chapter. Anybody who knows me or has read my second book, Undisputed, available at a pawn shop near you, knows that Shawn Michaels is one of my biggest inspirations to get into wrestling and, in my opinion, the greatest sports entertainer of all time. We had a classic match at WrestleMania 19 in Seattle. Some say we stole the whole effing show, and I have to agree, but hadn't really worked with each other since. That's why I was happy to hear that I was going to be the guest referee for an HBK Batista match at the Backlash Pay-Per-View in Baltimore in April of 2008. I would officiate the match without bias and then turn heel on Sean at the end, causing him to lose. Then we would have a match at the Pay-Per-View the next month when Sean would exact his revenge on me, and that would be it. Not the most well-thought-out plan, but it was a start. At the very least, I'd end up a heel and get another match with HBK. Little did I know that the planned one-off between Michaels and Jericho would last seven months and end up as one of the greatest feuds in WWE history. When we showed up in Baltimore the day of the show, the finish for the HBK-Batista match hadn't yet been decided. So we asked Vince what he wanted, and he said, I've got no idea. I just booked the stuff. You guys figure it out. Sean and I agreed there was no reason to rush my betrayal and subsequent heel turns, so we sat down to think of different scenarios— After a few hours of throwing various thoughts back and forth, Sean came up with the idea that he would injure his knee on a powerbomb reversal, which would lull Batista into a false sense of security, allowing Sean to superkick him and get the win. The twist was nobody would know whether he had really hurt himself, and that would get under my skin. If he truly did fake the injury in order to win, why were the fans still rewarding him with their undying of devotion? We were both baby faces, but I became more convinced week by week that he had feigned the whole injury to win the match and had been lying about it ever since. I held a mock Academy Awards ceremony on Raw and awarded him an Oscar for Best Acting Job of the Year. As a result of my suspicions, the people were slowly turning on me for accusing the beloved HBK of deception. He eventually convinced me he had really hurt himself, and I did an in-ring promo apologizing for doubting him. After suckering me in even further, he admitted he was lying and wasn't actually hurt. Then he super kicked me in the face and he obnoxiously danced out of the ring like one of the Chippendale's finest as people cheered the hell out of him the whole time. And he was supposed to be the baby face? It was the perfect situation for my new heel persona. How could the fans cheer and admire a man who had lied to their face? What a bunch of hypocrites. In that moment, not only was a new catchphrase born, but my whole modus operandi for turning heel was hatched along with it. The brilliant part was it all happened so organically. It wasn't a meticulously planned storyline that had been mapped out for months beforehand. It was a story we booked on the fly that caught fire because it felt real. I had every reason to be mad. If someone you consider to be a friend lied to you for months until you felt legitimately bad for him and then admitted he was kidding and kicked you in the face, wouldn't that piss you off? What made my case even stronger was that when the fans were forced to make a choice between Jericho and Michaels, they chose Sean the Liar. He was such a heroic legend to the WWE Universe that even this blatant display of bull wasn't enough to turn the WWE Universe on him, and there was nothing Lily Chris Jericho could do about it. The whole situation couldn't have been plotted better if we tried. Then we started trying. Week by week, we met in the writer's room with Michael Hayes, Brian Gortz, and Vince himself to plot out the upcoming twists and turns. We had stumbled upon the rarest of things, a hot money-making angle, and we wanted to fire up as much as we possibly could. Next step was a babyface versus babyface match at Judgment Day where Sean got the victory with a quick roll-up. After five years, it was great to be back in the ring with my favorite opponent of all time, and our in-ring chemistry was as good as ever. Physically, psychologically, mentally, and attitudinally, we were the perfect rivals. It was an excellent technical wrestling match, and yet it was the last one we would ever have because a few weeks after the Judgment Day pay-per-view, I made my own judgment on Shawn Michaels. He had to be destroyed. So we decided I would make my official heel turn on Sean the next month after the one-night stand pay-per-view where he had a stretcher match with Batista. I suggested to Brian Goertz that I could have Sean as my guest in the highlight reel the next night on Raw and throw him through the obscenely expensive Jarotron 5000. One of the most famous moments in raw history was in 1992 when Sean turned on his partner, Marty Gennetti, and threw him through the plate glass window of Brutus Beefcake's barbershop. I thought it would be a fruit homage and a bit of poetic justice to smash Sean's head through my own pane of glass. On June 9, 2008, in Oakland, I went on Raw and told the audience my next guest was my inspiration, my mentor, and most important, my friend. Sean came to the ring, and while he was soaking in the adulation of the fans, I reminded them how he had deceived them about his knee injury. He cut me off and reminded me that he'd said from the start he would do whatever it took to beat Batista, and that's what he'd done. He'd never lied to anybody except me. I could hear the swell of booze rising up from the audience as I continued defending myself, claiming to be the only honest man in the whole scenario and calling Sean up for his deception. Then I asked him, how does Shawn Michaels, H. B. K., one of the greatest performers of all time and one of the most highly decorated superstars in the history of the business, turn into such a lying, cheating, pathetic little worm of a human being? With that, I clotheslined him to the mat and began pounding on him as the crowd looked on in horror. The turn had been such a long time coming, I think the fans were wondering if I was ever actually going to turn on Sean. But they reacted huge when I did, especially when after he rallied back, I cut him off with a swift kick to the plums. He crumbled to the ground like a sack of dirty potatoes, just as he did when I nutted him at the end of our 2003 Mania match, and the crowd went silent. I towered over him, staring into his eyes, and his eyes only. In my mind... At that moment, there wasn't another living soul on the planet. There was only Sean and me. I told him quietly so that only the camera mics could hear that he had caused all of this by lying to me, that I dragged him to his feet and cradled his face in my hands. The worst is yet to come, I said, and threw him face first into the Jarotron 5000. Earlier in the day, the WWE prop team had gutted the TV and removed the flat screen, replacing it with sugar glass. Now I already didn't trust sugar glass because it never worked properly the times I'd used it in the past. It cut the shadow me when Kane threw me through a sugar glass picture window back in '02, and then again months later when X Pac broke a sugar glass wine bottle over my head. But despite my reservations, the gimmick Geratron looked perfect as it hung over the ring like an overgrown, ugly, square spider, and nobody suspected what was gonna happen. Even though there were some concerns from Vince that the highlight reel graphic wouldn't be displayed on the screen because it wasn't on a working television. We'd rehearsed earlier in the day to see if Sean could break through the glass quickly and realistically and if the ensuing shard explosion would be visual enough. We filmed the dry run and it looked amazing, but it didn't even come close to the real thing. When I grabbed Sean by the back of his head and ran him towards the screen, I let go just before impact so he could take his own bump. He put his hand in front of his face and used his momentum to headbutt the Geratron as hard as he could and the results were spectacular. The sugar glass disintegrated and thousands of minute shards sprayed over the ring as the Tron swung wildly askew over the crowd's heads. Sean writhed in pain, holding his eye with both hands as the audience gasped and the answers stopped talking to enhance the severity of what I'd done. The hero Jericho of old would have been doing a war dance with the electric slide in the center of the ring to rile the crowd up even further, but this was a new man. Everyone was waiting for me to say something or to deliver some kind of witty quip, but instead I walked straight to the back without a second glance, leaving the announcers to speculate how badly Sean was injured. The segment wasn't just a home run, it was a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth and the final game of the WWE World Series. Jericho versus Michaels was now the hottest angle in the company, but in the words of Karen Carpenter, we'd only just begun. The WWE announced the next day that due to my vicious onslaught, Sean had suffered a detached retina and his career was in jeopardy. But it was pure coincidence that Sean really does have a bit of a wandering eye, and that added to our angle the same way Jim Carrey's real chipped tooth added to the Lloyd Christmas character. People still ask me if I'm the reason for that wonky eye, and as much as I'd like to take credit, that was all God's doing. Next step was a grudge match at the next pay-per-view, the Great American Bash. We heated up the angle even more a few weeks earlier when I gave HBK a drop to hold into the corner of the announce table, further injuring his eye. This was an Arn Anderson idea that sounded good in concept but ended up even great with Sean's execution. There was a dangerous margin for error with him driving his eye towards the corner of the table at high speed then pulling back at the last second to protect himself, but as usual, Sean's selling was masterful and it looked totally real. On the night of the bash, Sean stormed to the ring intensely, ever so subtly selling his eye. Our match was a war for the ages that was as good as our technical wrestling match a few months earlier, but in a totally different way. This one was a brutal bloodbath. We beat the unholy hell out of each other until I busted Sean open and he bled so profusely that a few days later, Vince banned blood forever from further WWE shows. He's stuck to that verdict ever since with dire penalties for anyone who dared to challenge him on it. Believe me, I know. That's more foreshadowing, kids. I won the match by ref stoppage when I viciously kept pounding his wounded eye until he couldn't defend himself any longer the new Jericho character had arrived and was a huge success. My combination of Bockwinkle suits and big words, Chigurh's slow-paced, intense speech patterns, and more intense ring style and Sean's incredible performance had made me the most hated man in the company. The kernel of truth that I continued to use as the crux of my motivation to act the way I did was still a thorn in the fan's sides as well. They were the hypocrites, and whenever I reminded them of that, the Jericho sucks chants were deafening. My character had no catchphrases, no merch, or no redeeming qualities whatsoever and that's exactly the way I wanted it alright what'd you think chapter 6 Sean the liar from the best in the world at what I have no idea available now for pre-order and in all bookstores fine bookstores October 14th alright Kevin Smith is up next round 2 with the man who knows all about comics and we're going to discuss that What did you like better, Jedi or the Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. I'm here with Kevin Smith sitting in his house in Los Angeles. And we sort of touched on Return of the Jedi in part one. But I remember waiting in line, like waiting in line to buy a ticket for that movie. But that never happens anymore. People just go, "Ah, I'll catch the next one. Somebody somebody
2: was, uh, I just saw on Twitter, like when the X-Men movie opened up, people were like, this is the first time I've seen lines. Since Avengers, people waiting, and that they had a big weekend, so I guess, but yeah, like, but think about it. Would you? What would you wait for now in your life?
1: You know, yeah, because because you just like wait your for family, the next one. and that's right. About right. It. Like
2: when the next Star Wars comes out,
1: I don't want to wait with my my kids in line. Right. You know, they're little kids; they want to see it. Right, but I'll just
2: catch the next one. <laughs> yeah. or, you know, I'll buy um, the ticket online and not worry about it. when I could live like that. Like there might have been a time in your life where you're like, I got nothing but time ahead of me, so I'll stand in line <laughs> to see something I like. But think the older one gets, the more you're like. I could be doing other things. Yeah, you're you're totally, too. right? And in this now, now, nowadays world where it's just like a movie comes out and in two months you could watch it on your phone. Right. There's no pressing need to make a race for it. But back in 83, man, Return of the Jedi, Middletown movies, I stood in a line that wrapped <laughs> the building. Um, but we got there, right? We bought tickets in advance. So we got there. We had to wait in the line for the movie to get out before us. And then everyone cycled in and went to see the flick. And I'm 13 years old, man, and that was the first sense of melancholy mm. that I remember having as a kid. Because it was because, done. Yes. like, And I remember feeling that like we're walking out to the car. It was me, Ernie O'Donnell, Sam Holland, mm-hmm. and Ernie's dad. And we're walking out to the car, and I had this real heavy sense of, like, what's the point? And I was like, wow, man, that's it. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, so depressing. Like, what do you mean? And I was like, we're... We're done. They're never going to make another one of those. That's the end. Like, mm-hmm. what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And his dad was just like, "What are you talking about?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's. I just got my kids. My kids are ten and seven, and they're you know they're watching cartoons and mm-hmm. they're watching this. And I said, "Well, let's watch Star Wars." We don't want to watch. It, we don't watch. It, of course, now they watch it every day, over and over again, mm-hmm. and it really pissed me off because this is how ingrained it is into all of us. I don't have to tell you this. You know, when when they came out in DVD, mm-hmm. is it was you know they George had redone a few things and and, and you know, it took changed the music that mm. bugged me because you know that last scene when they're all dancing in Endor, and mm. you know it's like yeah. yeah. Dun, 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 dun. and they changed that
2: yeah made it bigger
1: and I was like why would you do that like that song to me or the or the music that the, the song that Cy noodle sings mm-hmm. on on Jabba's bar. bards in neck yeah that song. <laughs> and it's like why would you change that it no. drove me crazy man I mean how did you feel as a, I mean obviously separating church from state as a right. fan and also as a director? is that the director's right to change these things totally. or I mean yeah. it's
2: his movies and he, if he like think about it. you talk about like like how could he change it he sat there for 30 years and he's like how could I live with this like right. it bugged him these I I would say of the things he changed in Star Wars I would say there was a good percentage that literally did bug him mm-hmm. and then the rest of it was just like oh I could fix that too I'll DC do that as well yeah. cuz he can, you know it's like think about it. if you got a painting if you're a painter and you put something up there, you can always go back and mm-hmm. be like, hey, man, I want to add something, or I want to—I don't like the way that looks, and kind of take your brush back to it. And he did that. It was just weird because it was decades later. Yeah. And for a lot of people, it changed the shape of the film. And they, they weren't happy about it.
0: Mm-hmm. But it
2: changed the shape of the film for him in a way that he seemed happy about. It made a made oh, conflict for they, him. Oh, they killed him for it. Man. Well, but I that, mean, they didn't kill him as much for those as much as they did, you know, for the for the next so three the prequels or the sequels, they it really was- seemed to break his spirit, man. Like there was an interview he gave in the New York Times after it was all over, where he was just like, they asked him like, Are "You gonna make any more?" And he was like, "Why? People just yell at you, hmm. you know." And you're like, "Wow, could you imagine?" What interview? did you think of those three? I liked them for what they were. You yes. know, I kind of like I I went in there with my eyes wide open because I was like, there's no way these movies are going to transport me like they did when I was ages seven, thing, nine right? and eleven. Like, I'm just I'm an older man now. <laughs> so all they have to do is honor what's gone before. You know, they're going to have lightsabers. They're going to have the droids like going to have that music. Just, just get me. Get me where I'm yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. And so. You know, was I a huge Jar Jar fan? Nah, <laughs> but I didn't think it was like the be all end it. Like I didn't think it was like you know people rank him as more irritating than Ewoks. Like I grew up with Ewoks. Mm-hmm. Imagine you're sitting there going, "This is the last Star Wars is gonna make," and all of a sudden, teddy bears are coming left and right at you. <laughs> I mean, it didn't bug me for some reason. I guess I just wasn't hit was the fact that they were to kind be of nerdy, Wookiees, dude. Yeah, yeah then, that's See, the why thing. Why weren't they? As a Star Wars fan, I knew they yeah. were supposed to be Wookiees. So all of a sudden, you're like. We had teddy bears. Why did he do that bears? for 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 he merchandise? Says, well, he said at one point that it was just co- not cost effective to make it a plan of of wookies. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, you know, point to the fact that, like, yeah, would you rather buy a wookie doll or a little teddy bear? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a lot of people say it might be marketing. But I, you know, I gotta believe what he said. He was just like, ah, it's too expensive. But um, he those movies he made that that followed up. I, I, number one, I was just happy to see that he directed them. You know, remember, yeah. remember the last three? He did one, and then he gave the other two away. But, and that's, but don't forget, the
1: best one in the series was not directed by George. It's very, Elon, very true. Irving Christian, Christian. Right? and that's
2: my favorite as Mine well. Mine too.
1: Empire Strikes Back.
2: But right. he, I, I thought he did a, like a really good job with these. Like I know they were. Some people found them like convoluted and like what is it with the tax and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. And the, they didn't like the kid, and then later on the guy, you know, played the kid as an adult. Sure, Hayden and stuff. Christensen. Some people, you know, dropped on his back and stuff. Although I would say, look, man, that's a case of like, here, do this very stilted dialogue, and yeah. well, you got which
1: was always a Lucas trademark. You, you look back at Star Wars; some of that dialogue is real pedestrian. But we were kids, so we didn't know any better. Yeah,
2: and also think of the movies we were raised on. If, if you think of uh, dialogue, in Star Wars was pedestrian. Heavens, dude! Watch some of the early buck rogers and flash <laughs> yeah. gordon serials yeah. like you know or the superman the the george reeves superman right so like by comparison we didn't notice the dialogue being a little stilted or, or ham-fisted because we're like look at that spaceship mm-hmm. look at that spaceship mm-hmm. shooting at that spaceship that Look giant at, creature
1: with fur all over him. they were talking, showing us yeah.
2: we'd never seen before yeah. which is like you know the, it's an important lesson man if you've got a lot of dazzle Mm -hmm. you can distract from you know a weak script right and i've predicated my career on if you can give them like a something to hear Mm -hmm. and make them laugh they'll let you go on everything else Mm -hmm. like i'm the flip like their thing is like look at this look at what we can do in space this is amazing (laughs) and you know forgive us for perhaps you'd like to get back in your cell your highness (laughs) you know for some stuff that's a little wooden But they they what I do is the vice versa. I can't give you spectacle. I'm not good at that. Mm -hmm. But I can have people have a conversation that will stick in your twenty years later. You're like, oh yeah, the Death Star conversation. When they
1: announced um, that they were going to be doing a new Star Wars that George sold to Disney, did was there excited? Did you ever think like I want to throw
2: my hat in on this? Because my first thing was, oh Kevin Smith could do that. (sighs) No, nobody. I, I, I don't know if. If it's more like I don't believe in myself or other people don't believe in myself, like there's shit that I love so much, I'm happy to just watch. But I don't know that I'd necessarily bring mm-hmm. anything to it, like from a writing
1: standpoint, even.
2: But from the writing standpoint, like I'd be writing with a hand tied behind my back because mm. I can't right, 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 do yeah. what <laughs> even just like the stuff that I like to write about, the relationships mm-hmm. and stuff. Even when I've done hero versus villain type stuff in the comics that I've written. You know, it tends to be a bit more narrative and and very dialogue heavy. And those movies are meant to be visual spectacles. Mm -hmm. You know, you get taken away to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Nobody walks out of a Star Wars movie going, oh, the dialogue. And that's (laughs) all I can bring to something. So as much as I'm like, oh, my God, I'm a fan. Yeah, I am a fan. And just because I happen to do that thing for a living as well, doesn't necessarily mean that i should do that you Mm -hmm. know what i'm saying like i know i'd operate a camera say action and cut and put images together but you know not enough to to make a star wars Mm. movie it'd be a kind of poor star wars movie i mean i guess to liken it to a musician it's like just because you can play like the bass doesn't mean that you can play the guitar Mm -hmm. like i asked my kid the other day i was like you because my kid plays bass i was like can you Play the guitar like we we're doing this little movie thing. I was like, Can you fake playing the guitar? Because you know how to play bass. And she goes, No, it's completely different. Two different instruments, yeah. So I, I, it's kind of like that, where it's just like, Yeah, I can make music too, but not music like that. Like that's. What that's did you think about JJ
1: getting? It seems kind of strange. He, like, it's like he got Star Trek and Star Wars. It's just like, you know, I'm playing guitar for Judas Priest and
2: Iron Maiden. <laughs> it, it also just kind of like takes the entire argument of your childhood away, which was like Star Trek or Star Wars, (laughs) now it's just like, does it matter? I don't have to choose. It's all coming from the same guy. That's right. Um, I think, you know, obviously Star Trek was a great test run for him to do Mm -hmm. this. Um, I think he's a great choice. I think he'll knock it out the park. I think they're starting to give out other assignments as well. I I hope to God somebody throws something to Favreau because I thought his oh, Iron yeah. Man was the closest thing to a Star Wars movie. He did a great job. Oh, like great job! It created a world and took me into a world, and I bought that world right away. And I was never an Iron Man mm-hmm. fan. Me the neither. Comics. Like he was no, always I, I, I thought he was boring. Exactly. A boring, drunk, playboy. Like not like Batman, the, the, where he's in ugly earnest. costume. Yeah, yeah, like it never really did it for me, but they created something special with that movie in a way of like, it reminded me of how I felt seeing star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. And if there's one movie that's been made in the last 10 years that I didn't make that I have watched over and over and over again, like, and I only watch my movies over and over not because I'm like, these are great because when you're making them, you just, you watch them again and again sure. and again. By the time everyone else is ready to see them, you're like, I've seen this it. enough. Yeah. So the only movie in the last 10 years I've watched as much as the ones I've been working on myself has to be Iron Man. Like if I'm sitting here at night and all my work is done and I go, you know what, man, I'm going to kick back. I always look at my list of movies and I always invariably stop (laughs) on Iron Man. It's so well made Mm -hmm. that even though I know the story backwards and forwards, it's like hanging out with an old friend. And you're like, hey, man, tell that story about, (laughs) like, it's just that well done. Yeah. Such a a magical thing. So hopefully they give him a Star Wars.
1: Well, I mean, I think it's good the fact that George sold it to Disney because now we can, Mm -hmm. like, you know, see, like, with with James Bond, for example, that franchise has been going for 50 years and it'll continue forever with new directors and new actors and new stories. And I think that's
2: what they're going to do with Star Wars, I would hope. And rather... Any Star Wars than no Star Wars. Of course. You know, like all we had back in the day, other than the features, were we had a very large, expanded universe with the comics, the books, yeah. uh, the Clone Wars, the animation, the, the video games, and stuff. But generally speaking, canon, there's almost it's only six movies. Mm-hmm. All this other stuff is addendum to six movies. Right. So now, by the time I, you know, God willing, this is decades from now, but by the time I'm dead, there will be as many Star Wars movies probably as I've.
1: Then yeah, and our grandchildren will be watching new Star Wars
2: movies, and I hope that's the case. You know, some people are like, oh, it's too much. I'm like, make really? it its own genre, right? Because we you know it, and 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 also the audience will tell you when you're done. Mm-hmm. Like, but I guarantee, right now, number one, they spent four billion or something buying that library. Yeah. They got to make that money back and they're going to make it back too sweet because the decisions they seem to be making and putting out there all seem smart. Like they already said, we're doing a Boba Fett movie and Godzilla's doing it. Like, boom, I'm there to take my money. (laughs) They could do that for almost every character. They could do young, old versions. They could do crossovers. They can marvelized the star wars mm-hmm. universe which That's is right. a weird thing to say cuz star wars was kind of the original marvel <laughs> yeah. but but yeah they could do the same thing man where they just kind of expand and contract their universe and and i mean this sounds ridiculous but like let's say i mean, i was going to say 20 years but 10 years from now you look at your watch i did as if there's one non-existent <laughs> watch but imagine 10 years from now it was not it's not out of the question that you might see a Marvel slash Star Wars crossover. It's possible now, right? They own everything. Why not? Yeah. And like it's printing money. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Like these all these companies are now starting to get wise to the fact, like, oh my God, if we cross oh, yeah. the streams, yeah. like, you know, they're seeing it now with Batman Superman this far in advance. Like, hey, people are throwing themselves off buildings. They're so excited about this movie. So now I can see a world where it's one thing like everyone's like, oh, I want to see two companies crossover. Like uh, Fox has X-Men and Disney has Avengers. Can we see X-Men Avengers? It'll be a while before you see that, mm-hmm. particularly because Marvel has movies planned out for like, what, 20 years or so? Okay. Oh, God, they, they're phase three, phase four. Like they, they, they have a lot of things mapped out. But if you're all in-house at Disney... Where's the harm? You know what I'm saying? Like, why not try? They they don't have to ask permission anymore. There's some rift in space and time, and suddenly Mm -hmm. the heroes meet, and Darth Vader (laughs) gets to fight. Who's their big villain? Thanos? Thanos?
1: Han Solo and Wolverine go kicking ass together. Hey,
2: if they said to you, look, a normal movie costs this, but you pay us double and we'll show you Han Solo fighting Wolverine, Mm -hmm. you would do it. There are enough people (laughs) with disposable income who'd be like, Take double of what you would normally take yeah, because I'll, I'll that give up sounds a amazing. Meals
1: or- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you, you made a comment earlier about how you know if you wrote this, you're not talking. Your movies have had those type of, of gimmicks and, and gags, mm. but there have been some deep stuff. And I think mm. my two favorite movies of yours, one was, was Chasing Amy, And the other one was Dogma, uh, very deep things, especially Chasing Amy because when I first saw that, I was mm. like I said, I was a big Kevin Smith fan. I loved Silent Bob and, 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 and Jay, but then I went to see Chasing Amy and. I didn't like it at first because I kept waiting for James. The jokes? Where are they? Where are they? And then when it was done, I went and saw it again because now I could watch it for what it was. Yeah. And I just realized it was it was to me probably your best best script. I yeah. think a lot yeah, of that,
2: people that, that, like that one. A lot of people, but you know, very pointed to very. Jamie once as again, a lot it's very
1: dark. You know about about lesbian and trying to change somebody for what they are and. It was real deep, man. I mean, you've got a lot of uh, a lot are, of deepness inside of you, along
2: with the fart jokes. There's some depth there. These <laughs> depth, these yeah. shallow waters run deep from time to time. <laughs> that was definitely the 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 showcase movie of like, um, hey, look, uh, we could do more than jokes, mm-hmm. and it worked out like crazy. Um, it's a movie that stays with people. It was the one that like came along at the right time because. Clerks was very well-received. Mallrats was not well-received. Mm-hmm. So Chasing Amy like, saved us critically. So Mallrats wasn't critically acclaimed. And that's the thing. I, I'm so happy that I've lived so long that I can say <laughs> this. But like, I've And I've always been upfront about, like, oh, the movie tank. But like now there's so much distance between us and, and 95, mm-hmm. almost 20 years, that most people that love that movie, they weren't even aware that the movie didn't do well mm-hmm. theatrically because – They've seen it, like you know, on Netflix or. I seen think I saw DVD. it on video. I didn't see it in the theaters. But for them, they're like, looks like a movie, has movie people in it. Makes yeah. I watch it again and again. Like it's, it. Like I remember somebody at one point telling me, like, oh, one of my favorite movies is this movie called The Stoned Age. Which is yeah. kind of like a Dazed that, yeah. and Confused, like, look like a, a Dazed and Confused cult. Yes! <laughs> Don't fear the Reaper. And, and I remember going, like, I've never, I mean, I've seen, I passed that movie a zillion times in the video store. I never once thought about picking it up because it looked like a Dazed and Confused. Novel. Rip off, yeah. But yet that person was like, oh, my God, I watched that movie over and over and over again. And then years later, I realized, like, that is Mallrats for some people. Like, mm-hmm. they're like, I this I, I love this movie, and I watch it religiously, and I have no idea if it's twisted, evil, sick past, you know, mm-hmm. that it didn't work and that the movie, like, played, uh, let me see never played on more than, like, 500 screens or something like that, or 600, I think, is the Stone stone Age? No, or Mallrats. Mallrats, wow, okay. And then, but it wound up only making, like, 2.1 million at the box mm-hmm. office, and it cost, like, 5 million to make. So it went away It was like fast. It was in and out of theaters in two weeks. But that movie winds up being like the gateway movie for a lot of people. A lot of people see that before they see anything else. Mm-hmm. Because they see Mall Rats, they wind up seeing other things. Mm-hmm. So Chasing Amy came right as like, you know, all the reviews on Clerks were like wonderful. People were like, oh, fresh. And this is, this is great. And look what they did with no money. And then with Mallrats, it was the exact opposite. Mm-hmm. Like you had money and it sucks. <laughs> so there a lot of negative reviews for that movie. So when we do Chasing Amy... It goes back to Clerks, even beyond Clerks, because with Clerks, they're like, "What a you know, what a great beginning." But Chasing Amy, they're like, "Oh, he's matured as a filmmaker." Like that was where I got other filmmakers. Like Quentin said really nice things about Chasing Amy on the Charlie Rose show, called mm-hmm. one of his favorite movies of the year. And so. Mm-hmm. so it was that that was where suddenly I got a little bit of legitimacy for more so than just Farce. Like, oh, he, there's some depth to him too. Dogma helped that as well. And then Jay and Silent Bob Shrek back. A lot of people are like, oh, it's shallow again. But mm-hmm. Like, you know, the idea is, like, make a bunch of different stuff. In the moment, they crucify you for, like, what they don't like. But, you know, you always got to remember, and it's something you realize as life goes on. It's like it's all about longevity, man. Mm-hmm. It's all about what. Your body work. Yeah. What, what they're saying now, you can't really do much about. But if they're still talking about that 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you did something right. Like, you can't always guarantee business. You know, that's mm. like pulling the. The arm on the one arm band on a slot machine. But right. all you can do is put the thing out there that you love, that you feel like this is the movie I saw in my head and heart, and hope that it ages well.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to keepitfunohio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. You're a pure soul. But you didn't say God bless you when I sneaked.
1: <laughs> Loki! You're kicking off the light. Loki! I know I'm coming. Continuing here with Kevin Smith at his house in Los Angeles. So, Dogma, you mentioned you went to Catholic school in the movie. A lot of Catholicism, obviously. A lot of depth. But
2: there's also still a poop monster yes <laughs> i can't let the balloon get too inflated if it becomes too self-important i lose interest so once it gets too full of hot air or anything i'm working on i like to bring in a pin and, and take and the air it. out yeah. but you also kind of i mean
1: i don't know if you're gonna if this is actually the truth but the first time i ever saw jason lee and mm. ben affleck in mall rats and ben was also in chase Amy, and he was also in dogma mm. you kind of discovered both those guys, specifically Affleck, Affleck, as far as I can Affleck see. Affleck
2: was in Days. Prior to us, he was O'Banion, oh, the guy with the paddle. that's right. So we saw him because Don Phillips, who was the casting director on that movie, and that's the guy who discovered Matthew McConaughey. Gotcha. And even before that, he discovered Sean Penn mm-hmm. for uh, Fast Times. So Don Phillips been around for a while. He had just come off of Days Confused with the same producers. We had uh, Jim Jacks, Sean Daniels for AlphaVille so we saw a lot of dazed people mm-hmm. come through uh, for that very reason and ben i had i had read prior to meeting him the day before i met him or maybe it was that morning he was in the hollywood reporter cuz he had just sold a script with his friend and it was called goodwill hunting <laughs> and they sold it to castle rock for like 800,000 like a spec script so that's a lot right uh, it's huge. Yeah, huge i mean even even now that'd be a substantial mm-hmm. amount of money but we're talking 1994 95 yeah. so he comes in to Audition and I was like, uh, I never met him before. I said, "Hey man, I saw you in the reporter yesterday. Congrats!" And he was like, "You read that?" And I was like, "Yeah, I was reading the trades." And he's like, "Thanks, thanks." I was like, "That's huge, dude! Like, I've never sold a spec. That's amazing. <laughs> what was it like?" And he told me the story and stuff. So we kind of instantly bonded over that. And and he's a, a, like a very funny. Mm-hmm. And so right away, I kind of took a shine to him. But one of our producers, Jim Jax, who just passed away fairly recently. He was like, um, oh, I had been on days of Confused. got potty mouth. Don't, don't. <laughs> we've already got too much cursing in this movie, <laughs> Kevin. And I was like, well, that's my kind of guy. <laughs> so I mean, he looked the part and stuff, but he was just, he was a like a fun person to be around, real breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't so much that like, man, his audition like knocked my socks off, and it wasn't so much like, oh, he's physically imposing. Like it was more who he was i just kind of liked mm. him even though i just met him i was like oh, i like the cut of his jib someone that you want to be a, be around for eight weeks That's or however long if you're gonna movie, be in the right. job it's like yeah i'd be with that guy and he was witty like in the when he would talk about the industry he was kind of savvy and he was younger so mm-hmm. it was like it was most cats most actors you met then they weren't nearly as careerist like think about it ben and matt were the two actors that were like we can't get hired for the roles we want to get hired. So we'll just start writing it. And yeah. They, the old Stallone thing. They, exactly. Right. So prior to them, it's Stallone. And then no actors really think about doing it for years and years until these boys like, Oh, we'll write ourselves out of, it's so good. You have to hire us to be the leads or you don't get it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then they stayed with it. Like, you know, years later, let me say after, I guess it was about a year after we had done Morris, after we, after I met Ben for the Marats audition, not even, dude, six months. We're showing the movie because we shot it in the spring and then this is in the summer. So we're showing the movie like a cast and crew screening mm-hmm. uh, of the early uh, sound mix of the picture. And Ben comes and he brings a friend of his and he's just like, this is me. You never met my friend Matt. This is my friend Matt. And I was like, hey, man, how are you? I said, Ben says you guys wrote a script together. He's like, yeah, you should read it. I was like, good luck, man. Castle Rock. Yeah, yeah. Meathead, it, Meathead. Because it. Rob Reiner yeah. ran Castle Rock and <laughs> he was Meathead and all the families. <laughs> so, so they were at that point, like they were, they were looking for directors. There was a guy who wanted to direct it at Castle Rock and they had say over who got to direct it. Mm-hmm. Part of their deal with the spec script was they were attached as the stars and they got to approve the director. So, they were having a hard time with castle rock, castle rock, the guy, Andy Shyman, I think his name was Mm -hmm. wanted to direct the movie. He's one of the partners in the company. the boys wanted somebody famous to direct it. So at one point they came to loggerheads and castle rock was like, look, you can take this movie out. You got two months. If you can sell it, great man. Turn around costs. You can get it off our hands. So be it. But if you can't, Comes back to us, we're making the movie, and you guys aren't the leads anymore. Wow. It's going to be Leo and Toby at that point. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, 1990. Toby uh, uh, McGuire. Toby McGuire. Toby McGuire. Yeah, wow. So, wow. They, they gave him two months to go take the script out. And Ben was like, Man, do you have any juice over at Miramax? Like, you know Harvey Weinstein. I was like, I know him, but not enough to be like, do as I say or yeah. something like that. He goes, This script, man, like, they, they gave us two months to, like, turn it around. If we don't, like, we're going to be kicked off it. And I said, well, let me read it. I've never even read it. And he sent me the script. And I read it like on the toilet, took it into the bathroom <laughs> and then never left for two hours. Just sat there turning wow. pages crying. <laughs> Your feet fell asleep? Oh, the whole <laughs> body fell asleep. My ass fell asleep. Everything fell asleep. But I was in love with the script. So we called up Miramax and we were like, look, man, this is, I know this sounds weird because a friend of ours wrote it, but like this is one of the best scripts I ever read. Like it could win an Oscar. It's that mm. good and stuff. So it's expensive because they paid like 800K for it. And then with the uh, Castle Rock had, with turnaround costs, it probably going to be a million bucks for, for Harvey to buy it. And he was, that's not what he did. Like, Harvey'd pick up flicks and turnaround projects and turnaround. Pulp Fiction was one of them mm-hmm. that was supposed to be done at Sony. And then oh, Sony was really? like, we're not making it. And so Harvey snapped it up because he'd done Reservoir Dogs. He'd oh. released Reservoir Dogs. So, like, they were very good at, at picking up projects that other places were like, eh, we're not going to do it. Risky projects and mm-hmm. stuff. So they hadn't paid a ton. They didn't do that. Like, Harvey didn't pay a lot for his script and material and mm-hmm. stuff. So we, we didn't think he was going to do it, man. We we're like, a million bucks? There's no way he's going to pick up the script. And he liked the script so much, he was like, all right, let's do this. He, he smelled that it could win an Oscar wow. as well. So that's how I met Ben. And Jason Lee... I met on the Marats auditions and him. I definitely have a bit more of a like, Oh yeah, we did kind of put Lee on the mat.
1: Mm-hmm. But again,
2: it's all credit to Don Phillips. He brought him in. He was the guy. Jason was a professional skateboarder at this point. He had just retired nine years as a professional skateboarder and he'd retired and he was really interested in acting. So he'd done this one appearance in an Allison Anders movie called I think, me Vita Loca, I think it's in Mi view. Loca, mm-hmm. and and uh, he doesn't speak or anything like that. He's in a, a drug deal. Um, That was his only on camera, I think. So he'd come in and he auditioned. And I just loved the way he spoke. It's the way he speaks in Mallrats. But that (laughs) had I'd never heard that type of delivery. And there was a line in the movie about uh, Black Mass. And he said, Black Mass. And the way he held out the A, (laughs) I was like, oh, that's magical. Black Mass. Black Mass. So he became the the guy. And we became friends off of that flick. And Brody was never meant to be the main character. It was TS's movie and Brody was the sidekick. But because Lee was so strong throughout the shooting of the movie, it just slowly became Brody's movie. We just started editing it towards Brody's movie. Yeah. And, you know, clearly it is Brody's movie.
1: You know, you're looking through, you're talking about, you know, Chasing Amy and, and, and Jane and Song Strike Back and Geely and, and Cop Out. And I was always looking like, you know, your box offices would never be major. Mm-mm. You know, it would always be 30, 40, yeah. 50. Um, you kind of stepped away from the major studio system at, mm. at that point. Was, was there a reason
2: for that? With Red State. In 2011, we did this movie called Red State, yeah. and we self-distributed And I just got into a place where uh, movie marketing is just one of these ridiculous beasts. Like, this is the only art form where it's not enough to create your art. In order to mm. take it to market, you have to spend as much, if not more, to promote it, to promote it, To advertise it, and you know that that was a bitter pill to swallow throughout most of my career, but particularly like on Clerks Two. Clerks Two, we made for five million bucks, and asked everybody to like please like cut your fees and stuff, and like you know we keep it as close to the vest as possible, budgetarily, mm-hmm. um, so that we can hit that number. And then when we gave them the movie to market, they were like right on, and they spent ten million marketing the movie. Hmm. That's double what we spent to make it, and that like bug me because I'm like. We could have used more money to make the movie. I could have paid people what they were worth, but we didn't. We tightened our belts so we can make a low-budget or a lower-budget movie, and then you just pour money all over it like to sell it. There's Mm got to be a better way, like more creative ways. So there was that, and I'd also just kind of gotten to a place where like, I had priced myself out of doing anything kind of interesting. I'd had so many deals over the years with with first Miramax and the Weinstein Company, and when you set up these deals in advance, they're – Pre-negotiating your salaries for the oh. next three years. So it's a great thing. Like, you sure. know, you wind up getting very wealthy because like, it doesn't matter what they do at the box office. Like for this movie, you're going to get this. For this movie, you get right. this. Right. You're making five million to, to do it no matter what or whatever. Exactly. Like. So it goes up with every movie you make. And suddenly, you know, you can't make that much money and then make a movie like, Clerks or chasing a mere dogma. Like for that much money they want you to swing for the fences. And that's sure. where Jersey Girl comes from. Mm-hmm. That's where um Zach and Miri make a porno come from. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the idea of like, oh, work as commercially as you can, but mm-hmm. I don't have commercial sensibilities. Like that's not what got me into this world. Like Clerks is not a commercial movie, but I stretch of the imagination. It appeals to a bunch of people, but it's not commercial. It it goes right to the heart of sure. like the your like, hardcore fans. counterculture or something yeah. like that. So, it's not so much like, you know, a Hunger Games where everybody's kind of interested. So, I've never been that guy who made mainstream entertainment. And after years of like trying to do my thing within a mainstream studio system, yeah. It it was just, and no complaints, these are all first world problems (laughs) and whatnot. But after a while, you're just like, what got me here? Like the original voice, like I can't use that original voice as clearly or loudly anymore. Now I'm trying to cram that original voice into something else, a structure of something else, because Mm -hmm. that's what's commercial. And So for me, I was like, you know, I was done. I reached a point after Red State where I was like, I just want to make uh, hit somebody, this hockey movie, Mm -hmm. and then I'm done. Because you said, I'm going to be retired from movie making. Yeah, and I did. I I stepped away. I was like three years, I didn't make a movie. And then Mm -hmm. we were doing a podcast. We were doing an episode of Smodcast. It was Smodcast 259. It was called The Walrus and the Carpenter we wind up talking about this story we'd read online about this guy who, um, who was offering a room for rent if you were willing to dress up like a walrus. Um, and this is real. This, well, it was on, it was on gumtree.uk, which is like one of their kind of okay. Craigslist things. Right. And it turned out to be a, a prank by a guy who's one of the producers on the movie. We brought him in. Uh, mm-hmm. This guy named Chris Parkinson. So he had, he's from Bristol, England. He had written it in as a kind of prank, <laughs> and he was like, you'd be shocked by how many people were like, I'll do it for the free room and don't mind dressing up like a walrus. So captured our imagination. We talked about it on the podcast I do, me and Scott Mosier, called Smodcast. Mm-hmm. And you know, during the show, I'm sitting there talking about This make an awesome horror movie, because if you show up, you know this. We'll sew you in that suit forever and blah, blah, blah. And so over the course of the podcast, just like as we're sitting here talking now, me and Moser start talking about like what a cool movie it would be. And it's not like sitting there literally trying to script a movie, but we're just going like, yeah, you could do this. And then imagine if you do this, and then you could do this. And so by the end, you can listen to the episode. It happens live. Mm-hmm. Going into the episode, there is no movie. So you're coming, coming up out with of the it, concept of it. Coming yeah. out of it, there's this concept where I'm like, you know, this could work. And The Purge had just come out. And I was like, look, Purge just came out, did business. That cost $3 million to make, did all that business. This movie's as stupid as The Purge, man. Well, if you make it for $3 million, why couldn't this come out and do a little business? So I said, anybody listening, I said, if you like this idea, hashtag it on Twitter. Uh, walrus, yes. If you think it's a stupid idea, suicidal, career suicidal, walrus, no. Next day, man, thousands of walrus, Yes only one walrus no so i was like you know what and he's I'm- not allowed to see the movie yeah was, but his was even wishy-washy like his was kind of like i should do it because nobody's saying no <laughs> right, so he wasn't right. even convicted so for I, I said i'm gonna start writing it and so i started writing the script based on that conversation and it was all like whimsy it wasn't like this is what i'm gonna do with my future the next two mm-hmm. years of this or whatever it was just like I got nothing to do. Let me see if I can write this script. <laughs> and then I, when I was done writing it, I was like, you know, I got nothing else to do. Let me see if I can find some financing. Mm-hmm. And I found financing. And I, I swear to you, six months from the moment we were sitting in this very room doing mm-hmm. this exact thing, talking on microphones and going like blah, 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 blah. Six months after that, I was standing on a set going, action, and looking at a dude <laughs> in a walrus suit. Like, it was crazy. And it's, and, it's taking place in, in Manitoba. Yes. Now, originally <laughs> my the story. Province. I know. That's why when he came over, I was like, dude, <laughs> Winnipeg. I was like, not, not only is my movie set in Winnipeg, it's also set in Bifrost, two hours north of Winnipeg. is well." There's some Gimli in there, too? Yes. My, my dad Gimli. lives in Gimli. Does he really? Yes, he does. There's You know the story of the Gimli Glider.
1: Yeah, the plane
2: that uh, ran out of gas, and then they 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 were it was flying from uh, I think it's Montreal to Edmonton. And they ran out because it was just at the moment when Canada was switching over to metric. So the guy who's checking the gas was still dealing gallons. It was in metric. Classic Canada. This is a true story. Wow. So it's an Air Canada flight halfway on its way to Edmonton or whatever. Yeah. It ran out, literally ran out of gas. They're in the cockpit. They're like, we heard a noise that none of us had ever heard before Mm -hmm. because no plane is ever supposed to run out of gas. But apparently there's a noise. It's like, bang, dummy, you're out of gas. So these cats, like thankfully, the pilot was an experienced glider pilot. And uh his co pilot was like excellent at math and knew of the Gimli field. He's like, during mm-hmm. the war they used it all the time. We we can make it to the Gimli field. So they glided this plane that had like 160, maybe 200 passengers on it. Glided this plane, like you know, there's a movie with a movie with Denzel Washington, yeah. uh Flight just, just Flight. Forward, it's I mean, kinda like that. It's kind of the story of that where he took this plane and because of his experience, uh, Rob Pearson, Robert Pearson's name was, and the other guy was uh, Maurice. Um, they, uh, they, because of his experience in gliding, they were able to bring the plane in for a landing on this Gimli field, which had no longer been an airfield. They were using it for like go kart racing. Wow. And so they were having a go kart race that day, and all of a sudden, this plane, <laughs> noiseless because there's no engine, right? right. All the gas is gone, it just starts gliding at them and it winds up landing. And they, this is some, like, Grace of God, miracle that all the hydraulics are connected to the electrical system. The electrical system is powered by the gas. All that was gone because they had no gas. So they had to do a forced drop of all their landing gear. Wow. So they just hope that gravity locks into Like pulling a a, a lever. A lever and just going, and waiting for everything to drop. Now, the two back tires go down and lock into place. But the front tire does not lock into place, Mm. which means when they land, that's going to be bad news, right? Mm -hmm. However, because they're gliding in, they're gliding in something like 200 miles per hour or something like that. The angle that they hit, the plane was able to nosedive for a minute, and then because the wheels had not the front wheels hadn't locked, bounced right back up, nosedive back up, mm-hmm. nosedive back up. So because the front wheels didn't lock, those dudes <laughs> saved all those people on the plane. It's a wow. miracle. It's called the Gimli. They have an slider. actual
1: plane in the middle of of the town square for that reason. For that dude, reason, to honor. Yeah, it. To so to honor the in Gimli Tusk,
2: Gimli. There. there's a fast food restaurant we have called the Gimli Slider. So that's the <laughs> <laughs> that's the Gimli reference there. But it, I took the story, like, you know, uh, of Tusk, or in turn, it wasn't really called Tusk, but that, the hoax article was set in Brighton, England, Got blah, Gotcha, blah. right. Um, I, I said, well, you know, you could keep it set in England. You could make a whole movie set in England. There was no movie. We were making it up, right? Mm-hmm. But you can follow that hoax ad and do it in England. I said, but I know so much about Canada because I'd spent so much time writing Hit Somebody. I had material about the history of Canada that I couldn't even put into the miniseries but was cool. <laughs> so I was like, maybe I'll work it in here. And I'll just – I'll take – instead of doing like England, I'll do Canada as this land of mystery. Like honor that thing in my youth of like what a mysterious, wonderful place. <laughs> yes. So Tusk is set in Winnipeg in Manitoba because I didn't want to put it in like one of the obvious places. and Toronto I wanted to, Vancouver. Yeah. yeah, like we've all seen that. But I wanted to give it to a province where – you know, it had its own city, but then when you drove, like you would be in the wilderness, mm-hmm. like as you keep going story, in Manitoba. Yeah. So I, it, I was like, you know what, man, Winnipeg. Nobody puts anything in fucking Winnipeg. And there was so much that I knew about Winnipeg because of the, the Bobby Hull stuff. Mm-hmm. Bobby Hole not a character in Hit Somebody, but there is a Bobby Hole-like character mm-hmm. in Hit Somebody. So I, I knew so much about not just the Jets and Portage and Maine, but just Winnipeg in, in general. In general, yeah. That I was like, nobody ever puts anything in Manitoba. <laughs> yeah. So Simpsons went there once. Once. <laughs> <laughs> so I figure like, all right, let's, let's do it at the peg. Like I've been in, in the peg in February once. Which I've never been in a place in my life colder. That is freezing. Bad I, time. To that go. was when they got all the ice sculptures on the street. Yeah. it's beautiful, but you're like you walk out of the car or the hotel and your mustache it's freezes crazy. Minus sixty with wind chill in February. So that's yeah, it'd be minus winter thirty. Wonderland. Yeah, win, yeah, Winterpeg. But it was Winterpeg. Yeah, but it was uh, for me. I was like, let me put it there, just because at one point we were actually going to shoot there. So I was like, "Wow, it'd be awesome to set a movie in Manitoba, shoot <laughs> in Manitoba." And then we didn't wind up shooting there, so we wound up shooting the states. So we shot North Carolina for Winnipeg. <laughs> Most people go to Winnipeg and like do America for Winnipeg <laughs> yeah, for America. Right. We went vice versa.
1: So you're going to release that independently, or no? This one's or? coming out
2: this time through uh, a distributor called A24. They put out like this movie last year called Spring Breakers and Bling yeah, Ring, yeah. and they got Franco. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh a, the the um, God, they got this and there's this abortion comedy they got out right now um, with Jenny Slate in it, which was getting huge reviews. Gotcha. So they're this kind of upstart company had been around for about two years, kind of like a young Miramax. Um, and when, I knew I wanted to make this flick. I was like, hey, you know, there's only one company that would probably understand how to do this because I don't even know how to sell this movie. It's mm-hmm. so weird. What is it? Yeah. Um, it's a, it's like the best I can say about it is, I mean, it's a Walrus movie. It's about a movie about a guy trying to turn another guy into a walrus. But really, it's a movie about the dangers of storytelling and the mystery of Canada, the dangerous mystery of Canada. Like, it begins <laughs> with an American going to Canada with the typical, like, it's boring up here, but the whole movie is about how... Canada is not boring and yes. fraught with peril and Very the dangerous. Texas of North America. We are assassins, <laughs> so,
1: which is the real reason I came, Kevin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny, though. I'm, it I'm, I'm in your house. I'm a big fan of, uh, of, like I said, of your stuff. I watched the Evening with Kevin Smith DVDs that you put out a couple years ago, mm, probably you. 10 years ago now. I don't even yeah, know. I actually yeah, yeah. watched it on a, on, a, on a trip to Japan. I watched the whole damn thing. All right, a couple of last questions. Your favorite uh, uh, comic book character of all time, Batman, hands down. Which, which era?
2: Um, I, I would say if, of any Batman, probably be Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns Batman. I always liked Neil Adams from the 70s. Oh, yes. I always liked this. He was always running, and there would always be like a puddle. He'd be stepping in the puddle, and the, puddle, the water would Splashing. be coming up. I had him on Fat Man on Batman, Neil Adams. Neil you Adams? Get him on your podcast. What yeah. a fantastic great, guest. Great, great, oh, great guest. Wonderful storyteller.
1: Um, it, it's funny, because I always loved Aquaman. And people are always like he's
2: useless, but I loved Aquaman. Yeah, he's a good character. I liked him. Man, he's also got the best villain, hands down. My favorite villain. A lot, you know, a lot of people. Come on, it's got to be the Joker. Absolutely not. My favorite villain, at least in the DC pantheon, and probably for DC and Marvel, it's Black Manta. Wow, yeah, not very. You know, as interesting or as showy as the Joker, but like one of the most visually Just, stunning characters. Yes. Um, And he's got the voice modulation and he can stab sharks and fight. <laughs> yeah, oh, like, always dug him, man. Always dug <laughs> Okay, so actually I
1: don't have any questions, but I have some research. So, i am he's talking to me. I looked up the 10 worst superheroes of all time, and I wanted to run these past you a Fire couple away. of them. You ever heard of Matter
2: Eater Lad? Yes, he's part of the Legion of Superheroes. <laughs> he eats matter. Apparently, <laughs> it goes away. A lot of people bust his balls, man. As much as they bust Aquaman, they will go after Matter Eater Lad.
1: Okay, I get some real obscure ones. So, have you ever heard Cipher? He was one of the New Mutants, an affiliate uh-huh. of the X Men. Okay, I know the
2: New Mutants, but what is his ability? Oh, uh, his
1: ability is uh, his his mutant ability is basically to decipher anything. The languages and secret codes and stuff. He's a translator. So he was a babble fish. He was C-3PO <laughs> of the New Mutants. That's right. Or just someone that knew a lot of languages. <laughs> right. He was Rosetta Stone. Uh, okay, then uh, this is from the 40s. The Red Bee. And he's got a red costume. Uh, and he doesn't
2: really do much. He just, I guess, he just, he, uh, he, he stings like a bee. That's so, crime stopping right there, though. If, somebody, if you were in the middle of a crime of any sort and you saw that gentleman... You're stopping, You would at run. least for a moment, long enough for uh, the real police. To and he'll sting you. The then also,
1: here's a good one, Arm Fall Off Boy.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what? What's his power? <laughs> <laughs>
1: the Crazy Legion of Superheroes came up with Arm Fall Off Boy. Uh, he only made one appearance in 1989, and obviously his arms fall off. So then uh, the, how about the Legion of Super Pets? Oh, I've heard, uh, Yes. Yes, you've heard of that one. That valid it,
2: or not valid? Is uh, that the question. This
1: is real. Yeah, it's got a super. Oh, I thought, yeah,
2: I was. Do you want my validity? Oh, or, yes, please. I give it a stamp, man. You I'm gonna all give for it a to? a super it? pet.
1: Okay, a super monkey I see here, and a, a
2: super horse. Could be Beppo. Could be Comet. <laughs> could the super he? horse. Could be uh, what was it? Uh, the, the streaky. The super cat. I, 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 I just the remember the super dog. I, I just remember the
1: super dog. Exactly, and the super monkey. I remember that guy. Uh, and then also the the Wonder Twins, but just Zan from the Wonder Twins. Jaina can turn into an animal, but Zan only turns There's into water.
2: Water. So if you remember that show, they would be like, "Wonder Twin Powers Activate." She'd yes. Be like form of an elephant, and he'd be like, "Shape of water." A it wave. Was always, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a bottle. <laughs> <This is puddle. laughs> him in a bucket suddenly.
1: And, and that's, i mean—I love the 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 comic book man series that you do because I love looking through the stuff that people try to sell mm. and remember all that stuff. You—we came up at the same time. You guys were talking about treasuries. Yes. You, is that what they were called the here? Big treasuries? Books. big comic yes. books, super- Star Wars made. made Star Wars. One. That was
2: the first one I ever had. Kiss made one. Kiss a- made- well. One, uh, Superman mm. versus Muhammad Ali. Yes, was a giant treasury. Which
1: book. was they go to space, mm-hmm. and I think that they Neil got, Adams cover, too. Yes, and they had like celebrities in the front row, yep. like Farrah Fawcett was in there, whoever was hot at the time. Yes, uh, and I think I think they tied. They, they they worked it so there was a double knockout to fool the aliens, right? And then uh, the other one was I think it was a uh, Flash versus. Superman. did they do a treasury of that I, yeah I had a, a treasury of that one as well I
2: had a Star Wars one I had the kiss one at one point and I had God what was the batman one that I had there Probably was a Raza ghoul one I think I didn't have that one but, yeah um I had because this is going back to like 19 I want to say 79 yeah they, it's so weird like I mean I guess it didn't catch on because when they created them like where do you store that? As, a, mm-hmm. as an adult, like when your kid gets a gigantic comic book that size, yeah. where you Put where do you put it? But I had
1: a dresser under my bed that I put that would that would go fit under them. Yeah.
2: It went under my bed. My, my big Star Wars one went under <laughs> right. my bed. But they redid it, like within the last 10 years, they redid a, a giant kiss. Hmm. Comic. book I guess one put it out there. Yeah. What uh, do you remember uh color forms? Yes. Those are cool. They were like actual plastic guys that you
1: would put and make your own scenarios on a, uh, on, a plastic-y on a plastic plastic board. You make your own comics. What's the coolest thing? I had a thing? Batman one. Did you have Batman? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had I remember I had Justice League. Who was uh what's the coolest thing you ever got from uh on the show of Comic
2: Book Men? Let me see. There was this uh Marvel like something I was unfamiliar with. Marvel had made these little paper Doll characters, like basically they were uh, like pieces of cardboard that, on one side of it was a picture of say Doctor Octopus. On yeah. The other side was the back of Doctor Octopus. Oh, okay. And you stick them in these little discs, and it was a whole world. Like there's the Baxter Building. <laughs> here's the Negative Zone. Here's the Daily Bugle. And I'd never seen it. It was like an action play set, but with paper. So what year would that have been made? Walter put it at like 71 because he he knew it when it came into the Mm. place. He's like, I haven't seen this since my childhood. And like, you know, in the comic book store over the years, he's probably seen everything come to the door, but he hadn't seen this particular thing since he was a kid. So the wonder with which, and we were there doing an episode where I was doing a signing at the store, so I was there for that particular transaction. And like in a way where I got to see, like, he ain't active. (laughs) He's really blown away by this item. But his fascination for that item, it's tough not to get swept up into. But that was his personal Mm -hmm. uh, experience. Mine, though, of everything that's come to the door on that show, the one that captured my imagination so much and made, made me realize if you wait long enough, if you're a patient, Everything you want in life will come to you. <laughs> just never when you want it. Right? Some guy brought in not one, but a box full of kryptonite. Like back in the, oh, I think wow. it was like 78, 79 maybe. Maybe after the first movie, 70, 78. They released a kryptonite rock. It was basically just a rock that was painted <laughs> green. green. But they sold it it, like in stores, and uh, my parents would never let me buy it because they were smart enough to be like, it's Green Rock. I was like, it's kryptonite. (laughs) Superman's on the box. But it was something that we talked about on the show. Like, I never got to buy it, and then all of a sudden they had it on the show, and I got to touch it. It (laughs) But Walter was talking about, we talked about on the show, like, what a weird thing to sell to a kid like if you're a fan of superman why would you want the only thing that could kill him yeah like why play with that (laughs) this is such a weird lock that away forever
1: (laughs) what uh if you had to choose like your favorite one or two movies is there one you could pick out
2: um i got five jaws jfk a man for all seasons do the right thing and the last temptation of christ those have been my top five movies for a long long time and and uh you know, normally people are like, hey, man, where's Batman and yeah. where's Star Wars? And Indiana where's, Jones. Yeah, and where's Porky's? None of that stuff. Those are the movies, like it, the movies that I love the best are the movies I could never in a million years mm-hmm. make or would even think about making or something. I like love that. how you had that. You've obviously been asked that question a million times. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, What's the what's favorite movie you ever made? Um the ones i've I mean naturally the stylish answer is always like oh the one I just made, but best honestly tusk is like hands down the best I've been, and I think it came from like taking time off and then just years of like i've I've done it enough now, even in the beginning, I wasn't very good at telling a story visually, but you do something for twenty years, maybe yeah if you don't want to get good at it, you just get better at it so suddenly, I could bring my my chops to bear on a story, and I hadn't done it in like three years mm-hmm. so like I jumped out the gate I'll piss and vinegar <laughs> so the movie is looks beautiful like just a whack job trip of a, of a like movies it's supposed to show you something you never seen before mm-hmm. and this does that in space well that's what you've always done you're a great storyteller man and actually the last uh, probably
1: hour and a half or hour. So we've been sitting in complete darkness. I know we lost all the light, and we just didn't even bother turning on the light anymore. I feel like I'm working with Rick Rubin. He just <laughs> lies in the darkness. Do that verse again, but dude, <laughs> thank you so much. Uh It's been great, and what a, what a crazy experience we had earlier in the day and leading up to sitting in the dark at night. You, so uh, you need, to, I know, right? <laughs> what a long day it's been for us. You
2: need to come back a anytime you want, but b to talk. Stick. We didn't even get to talk that much. Stick. We hardly talked about hockey before so you much. go. I gotta because I'm such a normally I'm the guy that asks the questions, but how come with it in the blood, why didn't you go into it? I, I honestly, I just wasn't very good. Is that <laughs> what it came down to? That's it? what it was when
1: I was a kid. I Could wanted to
2: skate? Can you skate? Yeah, yeah,
1: I've been playing hockey since I was uh five. I mm. remember I was skating around the ice at five. And I was crying because I wanted to get off the ice, and my mom wanted me to wanted me to come off, and my dad wouldn't let me nah. stay on the ice. And actually, I scored my first Pee Wee hockey goal the same night that my dad scored his 150th NHL goal. No, yeah. so we have actually a little plaque in our house side by side. But yeah, but when I was a kid, uh, I got I got uh, corrupted by the temptations of, of rock and roll and wrestling. I wanted to be in a rock band, and I wanted to be a wrestler. Those are my two things. And hockey, I just wasn't good. You know, I, I was. What I, did you play when you Play. I played right wing, and I played tier three. Which in Canada there was tier one, which was the really good guys. Tier two was okay. Tier three was not bad. Tier four was was pretty bad. Mm. So I was tier three, which was kind of mediocre. And my dad knew that. He never pushed me when I told him I wanted to, to go into wrestling. He was really behind that and, and really cool. you have siblings?
2: No, I'm an only child. So you're the only one. So yeah. was, if you weren't going to play hockey, that was it. But yeah, he was like, exactly. well, I don't care.
1: But now my son, uh, he's really taken to it, and he really loves hockey. So we keep the athleticism in the family, at least, in the, in the show business aspect, and he wants to you know, play hockey. Yeah, we'll see how he does. You know? In terms
2: of athleticism, no doubt. Dude, he, I mean, everyone listening knows, but this guy, his guns, unbelievable dude. <laughs> what could have happened at 43? <laughs> I <if> you <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want you to walk out a door when my wife doesn't see you again and make the connection of like, how old is he? Because he's your age, Kevin, and you said at age 43 things just fall apart. I'm like, yeah. They do if you don't take care of it. I my still guests. love
1: that too. And I pulled up and you know, I was thinking, we told the story. You're like, yeah, but hey, what's going on? We do the podcast. And you're like, oh, hey, Jen, this is Chris. He's he's going to do a podcast. And she was like, hello. Like, kind of like, who the <laughs> hell are these idiots she, talking about? What is going on? She just you know? turned around and she was just like, we were going for a walk. Are you, <laughs> yeah, are you, what are you doing? Why are you talking to people? <laughs> well, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. And like you said, I'm glad I caught you because you've been walking. You probably walked 15, 20 miles a day. I wouldn't yeah, see. Oh, you. my
2: God, as if. But yeah, it, it would have been 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> right. You'd have been sitting out there going, oh, what a rude. Well, I see you met Gretzky. I didn't, man, but he didn't know, but somebody had given me a, uh, like, uh, well, number one, I met Walter. Okay, so Walter had given me many like here's a picture of Wayne yeah, retiring. Walter. Here's a His picture of it. Walter. Yeah, oh, amazing! Great Canada's guy. dad, like absolutely. Just an amazing, individual. absolutely just as famous as Wayne. The the Gretzky, the, the Four years ago, I went to it, uh, and it just happened again. It just ended this week in the Walter Gretzky Street Hockey Tournament in Brantford. I, we played that before. There's Did a big rock festival. Yeah, yeah, we've we've hockey liked, fest. We played hockey fest a couple of years Second, ago. So that was the the year I went. There was no hockey fest. The very next year, they started hockey fest. And then the year after that, they did it one more time, and then it like fell apart or something. Uh-huh. But the big year, that, which is the year you were probably there, who was a, like who was the, there was Mariana uh, Trench or something like the, the, that. The band was the Trues, who was a big Canadian. That's it. Band. That's yeah, it. The, the Trues. Trues yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We played that day. That was a huge crowd too. I think they got like it was. two thousand, three thousand. Yeah, something. it was great it was outdoor festival. Yeah, but um, it was that. So that was the first year I went. Was the year before that, and then that was the second year. Was when they brought Hockey Fest to bear. <laughs> but it was, and I went to that year as well. But it was so cool, and he's such an inspiring individual. And like, you know, if you love hockey, he's a big part of, of hockey course. lore yes. as well. So he's giving me pictures, When But then um, there's a guy, uh, Sean Calk, um, who is the world's like biggest, foremost Gretzky collector. Mm-hmm. Like, has this incredible collection of Gretzky stuff that. Like, Gretzky toured fairly recently and was like, holy crap, you want this? <laughs> like this? Uh, like, you know, he's a builder up in Alberta, up north Alberta. Uh-huh. So massive Euler fan from back in the day. Uh, massive Gretzky fan. And he amassed this collection, I guess, from building. he have got a lot of money. He amassed this amazing collection, including, <laughs> like, this is a car that Wayne drove the summer of 86. <laughs> right. So he, like, uh, when Wayne came to look at, I guess, the collection, he uh, said, hey, man, like, uh, Kevin Smith, blah, blah, blah. So he signed uh, a a shot. It was like, Kevin, Red State rocks. (laughs) And I was like, there it is. That's the best review I could have ever gotten from the only person matters. Wayne Gretzky said, I don't even know if he's seen it. Don't matter. That's a great review. Put that in the
1: uh, newspaper Uh, (laughs) ad. I I met Gretzky in 2002. I got to uh, be one of the presenters at the NHL Awards. Mm -hmm. And... Went there with the sole purpose. Okay, I'll do it because I want to try and meet Gretzky. So I finally saw him in the corner. I walked up to him like, excuse me, Mr. Gretzky. Like, Gretzky is God, you know, of Canada yeah. for anybody that likes hockey. And I was like, uh, you know, can I please take a picture of you? He goes, oh. he goes, oh, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm presenting one of the awards. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a wrestler. He goes, oh, I know who you are. He goes, you're Jeff Jericho. Like, <laughs> so what do you do? I said, you know what? Yes, I am. Yes. Because, hey, Gretzky knew half of my name. Good enough. That's good enough. For today, I'm (laughs) Jeff Jericho. And he goes, hey, tell me something, man. He goes, "Uh, you guys in wrestling, do you get a lot of. Really? (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, this guy is just a total Canadian redneck. He's like, let's go have a beer. And I was like, I was scared to talk to you. I don't know why. He goes, ah, screw that, man. Let's go have a beer and talk to him for like half an hour about whatever. Typical friendly Canadian. Did you ever
2: see that documentary? It's called The Boys in the Bus. Yes, uh, is it CBC, right? Well, it was made years and years ago. Um, there's two. There's The Boys in the Bus and The Boys Are Back. The Boys in the Bus tells the story of the Edmonton. It's unprecedented coverage for a hockey really? team. Really? So, it stay they they've already won two cups. This documentary charts them through the year they lose the, they lose and get dropped out by Calgary um, when Smitty kicks in the goal. And wow. then the year they follow them all through that season. And then all through the next season when they get the wow, back. it is a, an amazing insight into the dynamics of one of the most winning organizations in sports in history at that point. But I bring it up because there's scenes in it where they have a dinner party, I guess where they all lived at some apartment in mm-hmm. Edmonton together or something like that. So it's Wayne and um, it's a uh, uh, messier at the table Couple other, uh, 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 what's his name? Paul Coffey's at the table. All the guys, Anderson, he, Glenn Anderson's at the table as well. A right. couple others, and you never see this anywhere, right? Because whenever you see footage of Wayne Gretzky throughout history, he's playing a game or he's talking about the game, right? But he's drunk, he's at dinner, <laughs> and you realize, like at this point, you're like, he's a twenty, like <laughs> five, twenty six year old kid, twenty seven maybe year old kid, with two Stanley Cups, like. And he's a Canadian boy. Yeah. Like, you know, the one that they they don't show and you that in the locker rooms, but like national hero. Yes. Yeah. Who's he was got it all chicks left and right. And that's in the doc. You see how like charming he is. And he's got that girlfriend at the time, the Moss girl. But yeah, it's charming because he's a little bit buzz at dinner and mm-hmm. he's talking. When people get buzzed, like "No way, man, you don't know!" Like in a way that you never see him talk anywhere else. It is worth getting the documentary for that alone. I think that might be one of the reasons why it's not widely maybe. Yeah, they want to kind of protect that. But it is so, and I think it's one of those things that years on, you know, people be a a bit more lenient about or whatever. But it's seeing the kid behind it all. Like right. the kid was who is the, the legend. Kid. He yeah. was just a kid. What, to, check it out. It's worth I'll seeing. call
1: uh, Scholastic
2: Scholastic to <laughs> bucks worth <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks, dude. Thanks, thanks for having me, man.
0: It's impossible. Lois could never have Superman's baby. Do you think her fallopian tubes could handle his sperm? What about her wound? Do you think it's strong enough to carry his child? Sure, why not? He's an alien, for Christ's sake. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. If Lois gets a tan, the kid could kick right through her stomach. Only someone like Wonder Woman has a strong enough uterus to carry his kid. The only way he could bang regular chicks is with a Kryptonite condom. That would kill him.
1: Thanks to Kevin Smith for another great uh, show I could talk to that guy forever. We, we we talked for so long, like I said, we were talking in pitch darkness. That's how long we were talking for. <laughs> Didn't want to turn on the light and break the flow of the conversation. Hope to see him again soon. Thanks to him for, for being here. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to all of you who picked up the new Fozzie record, Do You Want to Start a War? It debuted at number 54, our highest debut ever Thanks to those of you who've been coming out to see us both with Theory of a Dead Man and to Fozzie's headlining shows. People are going nuts for Lights Go Out. It, it peaked at number 29 on the rock radio charts. Our first ever, ever uh, top 30 single. You know what? I'm going to play it for you again. People are going nuts for it. Check it out. His Lights Go Out. Top 30 for the Foz. Makes you want to do the hibbity-dibbity, doesn't it? Hibbity dibbity, hibbity dibbity, lights go out, makes me wanna do the hibbity dibbity, hibbity dibbity, lights go out, makes me wanna do the hibbity dibbity. If you wanna do the hibbity dibbity with Fozzie, come see us Saturday the 27th in Winston-Salem at Ziggy's, Sunday the twenty-eighth at the Sixpence Club in Parkersburg, West Virginia, September 30th in Music City, Nashville at the Cannery Ballroom. Don't forget also my new book coming out on October 14th, The Best in the World. At what I have no idea. I'll be doing the appearance. And the signings for that, I said them earlier in the show. You know what, guys? I mean, there's so much going on with Chris Jericho, uh, including talk is Jericho twice a week. And you know, I wouldn't be doing this at all if not for you guys downloading the shows. I thank you so much for supporting this show, for listening to this show, and thanks for checking out my sexy B sponsors who help us pay for the production costs of doing this show for you for free for twice a week. If you haven't checked out my sponsors, please do. I mean, at least go check it out, even if you don't buy anything. They're all uh, working just as hard as we are to, to get things rolling. It, if you want to help support the show in other ways, as always, the easiest way to do that is your online shopping through my Amazon links. Very easy to find. Go to podcast1.com. Click on the "Keep Our Podcast free banner at the top of the page. Then click on Talk is Jericho. You'll see all three of my Amazon links. Amazon UK, Amazon USA, and Amazon Canada A. Every time you do that, Amazon kicks back a little cash to the show so we can keep doing this for you for free twice a week. No extra fees or hidden charges. You're just getting your shopping done and you're helping me out in the process all right thank you so much for joining us go back and listen to the triple h episodes the paul Heyman and edge episodes both topped a, a million easily so far batista was great ace fraley the hardy boys last week both parts next week wednesday you know what i got coming in you may have seen them uh, in the new leprechaun movie and if you haven't seen them in leprechaun you've seen them on the show on raw and smackdown for the last seven eight years i got hornswoggle coming in here to be with me and to talk to all of you and what a story he has talking about being a a little person in a big man's world, uh, especially in the world of wrestling. All the stuff he did for Leprechaun. It's a very creepy movie. You should check that out, too. Hornswoggle, next Wednesday. So in the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Talk is Jericho. Stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and we will see you next week. And don't
0: forget, yeah, boy! You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's PodcastONE.com. I'm not even supposed to be here today.